Welcome to McKnight's Senior Living Newsmakers Podcast, where we share the latest information and views from industry leaders. Hi, this is Lois Bowers, editor of McKnight's Senior Living, welcoming you to another Newsmakers Podcast. Today, we're here with Ben Uncle, CEO of Westminster Canterbury on Chesapeake Bay, a life plan community in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Ben, I wanted to speak with you about a couple of subjects today, if you don't mind. One is what you're speaking about here at the Leading Age meeting, and that is using what are called early advantage programs to expand the reach of a life plan community. Can you explain how such a program might work? Sure. Basically, thank you for having me today. Um, Yeah, the early advantage plan is a way to serve people who are not yet on your campus, who may one day come or may not and to give them some protection so that if they need nursing care or assisted living in the future, they can come to your campus and an intervening health situation will not disqualify them. So basically, they are qualified medically once and qualified financially twice. You don't want to take them if they've spent all their money and gone to Las Vegas with a gambling problem or something, but then we just refund the entry fee. So... What it does, the offer for them is the peace of mind of knowing that they have assured admission on the same basis as our independent living residents and high-quality uh, assisted living, memory care, nursing, should they need that. And uh, they have the daytime use of our core mission, which is uh, socialization. They have the daytime social membership at the country club, so they can come and dine at the same prices as our other residents pay. They can work out free of charge, as our other residents do. They can attend our lifelong learning classes with professors that we have taught live on campus, just like our residents do. Um, So your daytime resident, medical clinic, uh, pharmacy, all those services, um, and then you go home and sleep in your house. That's the basic program. So we can touch and serve more people. What were the major steps that Westminster Canterbury took to set up its program? Well, in Virginia, every state is different. We happen to be at the mouth of the Chesapeake Bay and the Atlantic Ocean. And in Virginia, we couldn't offer um, a resident membership like this unless we tied it to a doorknob. We're still regulated under Virginia statute as a continuing care retirement community. We haven't upgraded the language to life plan community in our state. But that was the stumbling block for doing something like this. And then Virginia passed a continuing care at home law. So now you could offer future protection to people that was not, where the protection was not linked to a particular doorknob on your campus, a particular independent living apartment. They could have protections at home. Now we have very light um, uh, uh, protections in the sense that we are not the classic continuing care uh, at home program that comes and offers you included hours of home health services and all of that. Uh, We offer the future access to the campus for your higher care needs, and we certainly have a home health and hospice agency, and we do sell home care, private pay home care services, uh, home health, skilled home health for rehab, recovery, and hospice services, but we don't bundle that as part of the package. They know they're going to have preferred access to purchase those services if they want them. So we took something that was um, continuing care at home solution and turned it into the enabling mechanism for uh, early advantage. And that's worked quite well for us. 
could just speak a little bit more about what kind of benefits uh, Westminster Canterbury has seen or what benefits the community hopes to see from the program? Well, I can start with $15 million in entry fees that have been collected from early advantage folks since we began it in just 2017. This year alone, uh, we will collect nearly $6 million in entry fees. Uh, and in September, I just checked, we collected 19000 for just the month of September. So about 228000 in monthly fees have come to us since then. And it's very low utilization in terms of our most sought-after dining venue has had maybe seven reservations and people enjoy it. Mostly they're using our casual pub and our sort of um, food court kind of dining. Uh, The casual dining is even more popular with them. Three or four people are working out every day. A few have hired us for personal training because personal training is an additional charge even for our residents. So they We basically have all the daytime services at resident prices. So fairly light utilization, but people are coming to the events, the classes, the lectures, the Bands on the Bay concerts, all those things, and they're moving in faster. So I was joking with somebody today before our presentation, we were planning it, I said, you know, the way we ought to begin this is to say, what would you pay to have a loyalty program? What would your community be willing to Uh, lose or expense to have a loyalty program for people that got them to move in faster, that simply enabled them to buy more services down the line that you would have sold them anyway, Uh, for the assurance, now this is where, uh, you know, it's a real value is we assure them future admission, so, uh, but we have a lot of our nursing beds, our um, rehab, Medicare short stay, and we can turn that spigot on and off to accommodate people. But basically, you know, they have a non-refundable entry fee. So there's a barrier to jumping to the competition. They've locked, locked into you, essentially. So they've put a financial hurdle in front of themselves for going to your competitor. And instead of you paying them for all of that, they pay you for it. Uh, they fund the loyalty program. And you can enter it in a very low-risk way where if you want a fee-for-service model... It's a 10% discount off of our street rates for the nursing home and for assisted living. So it's a lower cost uh, uh, program, but we're not taking on the actuarial risk of, of uh, losing money on it at all. It doesn't need its own executive director and a bunch of staff because, again, we're not coordinating all their services out in the field in the house. We're saying you have the assurance of coming here when you need it. And um, all the services we give them are the same services we're already offering to our other residents on the campus. So it's a very low-cost program that's yielding good revenue. And the value to the resident is they have a place to socialize during the day and be connected and tend to their wellness. And they have the assurance that an intervening stroke or heart attack or dementia is not going to disqualify them from that lifetime protection at the quality uh, provider in town for the higher levels of care. So that's, it's really a win-win for everybody. The other thing I joke about is that we're saving marriages because you have the spouse who wants to wait and the spouse who wants to come in before it's too late. Here I say the nagger and the naggy. No sexual stereotypes here. It could be either one who's nagging or being nagged. Both win because... The nagger doesn't have to worry about 
an intervening stroke disqualifying that spouse because the other spouse wanted to stay home longer. The spouse who wants to stay home can say, see, now you're protected. We can stay home as long as we want, and we can decide to move in when we want to move in. It's really an intriguing idea. Now, I know you said, you know, things vary by state, um, but generally speaking, um, for those listening who might want to set up a program, what's the first step? So the first step is to um, find a consultant who can help you through this. It's really not that hard, but you ought to talk to somebody we happen to use Longevity um, Associate Longevity Markets, uh, Perry Acock, who's worked with our organization for a while and helped set up some of these programs in North Carolina. He's excellent. Um, you can read more about it if you go to Love & Company, another marketing firm. They did a, a podcast on this with several speakers and kept that podcast on their website. And if you Google that, Early Advantage Programs, you can find that. But Candidly, if you want to, to start this on your own without any consulting aid and you know that your state already has a continuing care at home statute, you just do the continuing care at home contract with very little committed services in the home. Um, and you offer the home services on a fee for service basis or you offer the home services by them coming to the campus to get them, and you're home free, to overuse the word. You can even get the disclosure statements from the others that are already doing it, and you have 90% of your contract written, and lower the price and take away some of those included home visits, and you've got an early advantage program. And uh, you can get, that's the cheapest, quickest way. And, you know, we started with just the fee-for-service contract. So we started with, you're assured, you take your medical test once. If you ever take one again, it's only to find the right placement, but you never have to worry about being disqualified medically. Um, But it was fee-for-service only. It was a 10% discount on higher levels of care. So you couldn't lose, really. They were paying for the assurance that the inn wouldn't be full at the Five Star Nursing Center and at the best assisted living memory care in town. And that future assurance of access to quality care is worth a lot of money to people. What happens is they get our monthly newsletter, The Advantage. They get invited to all the things that are going on on campus and they decide, you know, maybe I shouldn't stay home. And then their early advantage membership or entry fee is credited toward their eventual entry fee moving into the campus and they start to you know we've had people who have moved in far faster because they were on early advantage we've had three who told us they would never ever move in they were just doing it to stay home the rest of their lives and and have quality nursing home available to them if they needed it in the future who have since changed their minds and moved in so it's it's been a great thing Well, thank you for sharing that information with us. Um, Now, another subject I'd like to speak to you about is one that I know you're passionate about, engagement and how it can help alleviate social isolation and loneliness in residents. Why is living in community important for people, especially older adults? Well, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that we were designed or evolved, depending on your worldview and maybe a combination of both, We were designed as social creatures. And even introverts who get energy from solitude 
don't get um, energy and good health and good mental health from solitude all the time. There's a reason why solitary confinement is cruel and unusual punishment. And the, if it goes on too long, and the, um, the American, the American dream is really the American lie. I mean, we all think, everybody thinks the ideal is rugged independence all the way until their dying breath, and that they'll drag me out with my fingers in the wallpaper and our, all of our advertisement, uh, hair dyes, uh, facelifts, everything is all about staying and being and looking and seeming and feeling as young as you can for as long as you can. And independence becomes sort of the holy grail. Well, independence, when you start to age and your ability to get out and socialize beyond your own home starts to diminish because you're afraid of driving at night and then you're afraid of driving in the rain and then all of a sudden you find yourself a prisoner in your gilded cage um, is not the way to age. And research study after research study talks about the horrible adverse impact of loneliness and isolation on physical and mental health. One study said that it was the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. So if loneliness and isolation are as bad as smoking 15 cigarettes a day, it's not the way to age. It's not the way to live. And unfortunately, older people are trapped by this. And then they get to the point where inertia locks them in, where they don't feel they have the energy to move or pack up the house or make a difference in their life change. So how do we, how do we address this epidemic of loneliness that was already there before COVID? And COVID just gave the rest of us a chance to know what it felt like and how bad it was to be lonely and isolated. So anything that we can do to pierce that is, is something I'm into. And that, of course, is the core value proposition of living in community and a community life is that you always have the opportunity to be as socially engaged as you want to be um, with others who are like you. So what are some of the things that Westminster Canterbury does to foster engagement? So we, um, we do everything that we can. So starting with the design of our spaces, we just uh, recently renovated our common areas and we created on the lower level a formal living room kind of a lobby. That's your wow impression of the Chesapeake Bay as you walk in. And um, next to that is a very active and noisy pub, though, if you step a few further. So you see socialization there. The more casual pub venue was far too small before we redesigned it. Uh, and we enlarged it. And then upstairs, I call that, if you remember sometimes growing up in my era, you were never allowed in the living room. That's where all the guests were and everything was pristine and formal and fancy and nice. And then you had the family room where you had all the fun. And the family gathered. Well, our second floor of our lobby up above is where we have our food court, library, computer lab, all-day dining, arts and crafts. Um, all that sort of stuff is up there so that the nexus, the hub, the heart of the community, if you have food and you have activity and people gathering casually all day long and a center to draw them out too, in addition to the planned events and classes and lectures and uh, things that go on in terms of club meetings, etc. cetera. Uh, you just design the community to promote more socialization. So that's number one. Number two, you have to have a very vibrant-led, resident-led is, is ideal. Um, 
program of activities and discussion groups and small groups with church uh, Bible study on card things, all that stuff. Uh, travel, trips that are run by residents to Montepicio, you know, that residents organize and they get the free trip if they organize it. When you can spark that uh, resident leadership of uh, your programming during the day, that makes a key difference. And then where my passion has always been is what about the folks with cognitive decline or whose frailty causes them to be in a nursing center room more hours of the day than they should, even with all the inducements to get out. Not everybody wants to play volleyball, balloon volleyball, or bingo, or whatever. You you know, what is it that we can do that fits what that resident is interested in when they're interested in playing, when they're interested in engaging? And that's where we came up with the idea of designing our own tablet that was affordable at the bedside that had, you know, only five big buttons that were easy to use for those in cognitive decline so that they could um, play games, watch TV or movies, listen to music, uh, and then hit explore and do other things. So we could have a window on the world for those with cognitively, cognitive impairment or whose uh, frailty left them less mobile. So that's the real test. What do you do at that end of the spectrum where the numbers are far fewer, but the intentionality of doing something impactful makes an even bigger difference on people's day-to-day quality of life because I don't know about you but my experience has been whether they should or not very few prospects ever want to see your nursing center they want to know it's there in case they need it they want to know you have one they'd like to see a picture of how pretty it is on the inside but they never tore it so they have no idea what the quality of life programming is when they're most dependent on your skill, heart, and talent at making great days for them, that's where the rubber meets the road. And yeah, a fewer of them are going to use it on any long-term basis. I think only a quarter maybe use a nursing center for more than 30 days or so. But for that quarter, particularly after if they're alone with no spouse, uh, the quality of life in your programming makes a tremendous difference in their physical and mental health and just their happiness. I don't care as much about living a long life as I do a quality life. If you're adding seven years to my lifespan because you fed me well and I exercise in your community and all of that, but I'm in the one quarter where two years of it are going to be spent in a nursing center where you're going to bore me to tears and you're having bingo and balloon volleyball as your highlight of your day, um, you know, it would be a struggle for me who understands the imperative of picking your attitude every morning and be intentionally cheerful. It would be a big struggle for me to attempt to pick a cheerful attitude every day in that kind of environment. But if I had a machine that could connect me by video to my oldest daughter who had a companion app on her phone that was free to use where she could call me and I could call her without the intervention of the staff. If she could carry her smartphone around at my grandson's soccer game, or if I could play chess and have an open audio line play checkers or chess with my grandson, then even if my immediate family's in a different state, which we find a lot of these days, 
I can stay connected with people who knew who I was, knew who I am, and still gave a damn about interacting with me without a big burden on them. And I can still listen to the church sermons of my local church. If I can't get out to the church, I can still listen to lectures and, and continue to learn. You know, in the old days, we had, I guess, uh, if you were rich, you had a court jester. And if you were the king, you might have had him on call or the queen 24-7 to come in and entertain you when you felt like being entertained and to sing the song you felt like hearing. Well, now with a $200 tablet and nine bucks a month per bed, you can give a bedside initiate at the middle of the night if they're a sundowner. They initiate their own entertainment and select what it is they like to engage in. And you brought your own court jester right to the bedside. And that's our birdsong tablet, birdsonglife.com, if you're interested. But those are the types of things that excite me, being able to uh, make a difference in life on the engagement front. And in the places where fewer of us are attempting to be creative, and that's in the nursing centers, assisted living and memory care, which, let's face it, during COVID, everybody got into a survival mindset, not so much a quality and enhancement of life mindset. It's time for us to get out of the shell shock and sort of reinvest in terms of, yeah, we could we could keep them free of um, UTIs. We could keep them uh, healthy with vitamins and diet and living longer and great medical care. But are they happy? <laughs> and can we make them happier? Uh, that's, that's, that's the key that excites me. I think that's, that's the future competitive advantage. And by the way, when they're happier, they're easier to work with. And you don't have CNAs quitting because Mrs. McGillicuddy threw a fist at her while getting dressed in the morning. CNAs are hard to find these days anyway. The, the CNA can push a picture of a laughing baby, and it shows up on the screen right away. The beauty of short-term memory loss is you forget why you were angry a minute ago. And I have yet to meet the person. I've tested it with several grouches where you push the picture of the laughing baby and they can't help but smile and laugh themselves. And as I say, 30 minutes later, 30 seconds later, they're in a different frame of mind. And so your CNAs and all the rest have a a better time and a difficult job. Uh, helping people. And if people are less depressed and happy, just forget the cognitive impairment, but just the, the typical nursing or assisted living resident, if they're happier because they're still having finding purpose and they're engaged, it's a more cheerful place to work, whether they're swinging their fists at you or not. I mean, it's just a happier place to be in a more pleasant work environment. By the way, I wanted to mention for those listening that Westminster Canterbury previously has been recognized in the McKnight's Excellence in Technology Awards for its use of the Birdsong tablet, and this year won a gold award in the Keep It Super Simple category for the WCB Geeks program, wherein residents help fellow residents with their tech issues. Congratulations, Ben. Thank you. For those listening, if you'd like to read more about this year or previous year's tech award winners, you can visit McKnightSeniorLiving.com. You'll find the Tech Awards content under the events in the navigation bar at the top of the page. And be on the lookout for the opening of our nomination process for next year. This is Lois Bowers, editor of McKnight Senior Living, and we've been speaking with Ben Uncle, CEO of Westminster Canterbury on Chesapeake Bay in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Ben, thanks for speaking with me today. Hey, thanks for having me, and thank you for all that McKnight's does for our industry. 
Thank you for listening to McKnight's Senior Living Newsmakers podcast. For the latest in senior living news, visit McKnightSeniorLiving.com. 